0: Yes, of course. Burl (laughs) Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the soapily beatific hills of Encino, California, where industry and nature work hand-in-hand to create a better life for all of us. The following program is produced by Magic Man Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star, one star, He's a one-star manager. <laughs> Do you explain. Uh, he's not here today. He's out watering his legend. Mark C.G. Boyer, fact-checker's Hello. here. Kip Adana, a world-famous retired comedian. That doesn't mean he's no longer funny. It just means he doesn't work as hard as he used to. He's uh, here with us today also. And today we're going to get into one of the most bizarre cases of stolen identity, fabricated identity, dead bodies, skulls, and yes, I'm rich and famous. As long as I convince myself I have stories ever to crawl out of this area. The book is called Name Dropper, Investigating the Clark Rockefeller Mystery by Frank C. Giardo. Did I say that right, Giardo?
1: Gerardo. Gerardo, yes. Like Merlot or Cabernet. Uh, Let
2: us start with a young man who immigrates from Germany because he's an Anglophile or an Americanophile. One or the other, and ends up in America and
1: goes nuts. Christian Carl Gerhardt's rider. I don't know if he ended up going nuts. I think he went slowly nuts. He came here and he wanted to be Thurston Howell the third. Um, what I, happened to Thurston Howell the first and second? Uh, well, I you know. am. Um, I
2: was a latchkey youngster and uh, grew up with uh, Gillya in his island over and over and over and over. Um, so he basically picked up. His pant, his patter, his uh, mode of talking and acting, from watching Jim Back.
1: Well, I think that uh, you know, if you look at his personality, he wanted to be uh, as thought of as a wealthy person, and Jim Bacchus as uh, Thurston Howell the Third was a caricature of that. Um, yes. And so, as a teenager, um, Gerhardt's writer would practice his accent and his stories on various, you know, people until he'd get it exactly the way to where, A, it was believable, B, he lost all traces of his German accent, and C, he got a free lunch or something. He usually it yeah. was the
0: free lunch or something <laughs> out of it that he wanted, right? Right, yeah, exactly. So he's trying to reinvent himself as someone with money, usually other people's money.
1: It's always others people's money, never his
0: own. That's a nice trick if you can get away with it, and he did. Well, you know, well, you see, to be good at it, Burl. Yes, that's right. (laughs) It used to be my money.
1: (laughs) He got away with it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And so he comes here, actually, you know, lies to get here, and um, ends up in Berlin, Connecticut, very German-sounding, and after all, he is from uh, the Bavaria part of Germany. And uh, after six or eight months in high school, he goes to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. also a very German place. And attends school at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And after a couple years, uh, makes his way out to California, um, where he wants to reinvent himself as a film student, a film professor, and a connoisseur of film noir.
2: Where does he get the marriage of convenience in this sequence? Uh,
1: Well, okay, so in Milwaukee, he meets a girl, and he dates her for a while, and he tells her that, hey, I want to stay here. Would you marry me? And she says, no, but my sister will. Oh, that's good. Hey, it's sort of like Jimi Hendrix uh, Red
2: Greenland. House. Does, doesn't that sound
1: like a, um, a ZZ Top Song? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix Red House. No, that was, I it was Tube oh, yeah. Steak Boogie. Yeah, that's right. Tube Steak Boogie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, too. So, uh, yeah, she won't do it, but her sister will. Yeah. she do the Tube Steak Boogie um, all night long. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs>
2: <That's> <laughs> all right.
1: I'm glad we clarified that. Yeah, there <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, we go from the Tube Steak Boogie in Milwaukee, Wisconsin to San Marino, California and upon his arrival in San Marino, California Christian Carl Gerhardt's writer becomes Christopher Chichester
2: Well, and I noticed throughout this uh, I- I silliness that it seems that all of his aliases start with a C Yeah,
1: that's a common practice for uh, frauds, fakes, grifters and phonies
2: Well, I mean, Burl is, uh, is the saint expert <laughs> and All of the saints' nom de were saints
0: No, actually only in the movie in, in the books, they all were used, uh, the ST., Sebastian, uh, Tombs, uh, Sweetwater, Treacle. <laughs> See?
1: Yeah. It's oh. easier to remember, right? Yeah. Well, th- th- speaking
0: of easier to remember, when someone is a pathological liar, such as this gentleman, keeping track of lies is very difficult.
1: Oh, oh yeah. You know, and actually, yes, he's a pathological liar diagnosed with the c- a case of pseudological fantastica. Now that sounds I mean, like a science fiction movie it it doesn't like it? Yeah, it's, it's also on the DSM. Uh, so yeah, he's a, he's so he's, keeping track of these lies is difficult. Did he use posted notes to keep track of his lies? I <laughs> see so you read the book. Yeah. <laughs> we we we
2: made it we we, yeah, we actually made the effort. <laughs> before po- you did him. you
1: use posted notes? Yeah. to, no, to I this, keep yep, track yeah. of the details. I got a pad with scribbles. Uh, so yeah, uh he went, it, so this Carol Campbell, um one of the uh, folks that participated in this book Went on a date with this guy. She was probably 17. He was probably 20, and he had a Plymouth Arrow, and they're driving around ritzy San Marino, million-dollar homes, and uh, he's got these post-it notes all stuck around the edges of the Plymouth Arrow, reminding him of, you know, who the Mount Batons are, who the Chichesters are, <laughs> who, you know, where he came from, and uh, what he did. Like Cliff's Notes did. of My Lies. Yeah, right. yeah, that's a good one. <laughs>
2: and uh, I, I love the I-don't-remember invention.
3: That was of, Ronald Reagan? Of yeah. All the,
2: <laughs> yeah it was. Of all the stuff that, um, all the pieces of the puzzle that he doesn't want to answer. Oh, I don't recall being a child in Germany. I grew up in the U.S. I think it's fascinating that he would actually sit there on camera and it. I don't remember.
1: So he, yeah. So you know, I mean, there's this story goes through so many machinations and so many different character types. But eventually, he's arrested, and he does an interview with uh, the Today Show. Yep. And you know, they know pretty much his real life story, but he doesn't apparently. <laughs> And so they ask him a lot of questions and to which he doesn't know the answers, or he makes them up. Like, instead of growing up in Germany, he was picking strawberries in Oregon and yeah. visiting Mount Rushmore in a woody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure.
0: Um, Maybe he just got a woody when he was at Mount Rushmore. Yeah, well,
1: that could very well be, <laughs> if he ever saw it. That's low-hanging fruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some for some. <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, so he, that was his invention. He didn't remember, right? But there was a lot of things that he didn't remember. There was a lot of things that he denied in this interview. But when Natalie Morales of the Today Show asked him, hey, did you kill those people out in California back in 1985? And he said, I am a pacifist. I'm a Quaker. Quaker, yes. I certainly would never hurt anyone. Yes, well, you know, that's not the typical, you know, answer that you get to the question. Like, you know, if I ask one of you guys, hey, did you, you know, you kill that? Damn you, straight.
2: You, you, you you say say yes either or you're either going to say <laughs>
1: yes or no. You're not going to, like, go into this whole uh, deal about, you know, how you're a pacifist and a Quaker. And most certainly, I've never hurt anyone. Then why would we need
3: jury trials?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's the great question
0: of the ages. <laughs> Fascinating. Does this guy believe his own lies, or does he just so lost in them that he can't get out?
1: Well, you know, I don't think he believes a thing that he says. Um, I I think that he's the only thing that he believes in is getting out of what he got into. (laughs) I
2: I, I loved his. I loved this response about. he has he has traveled the country, under various aliases before he ends up with uh, Rockefeller as the alias. Right. He gets married, and has a little baby, and now he's in a custody battle. One one item that that stuck out was that he was offered his ex wife offered him a deal: the kids yours. Tell me who you are and what where you came from. Yes,
1: yeah, so we go into a, a lot of that in the book Name Dropper about how. Um his you know his wife couldn't didn't know who he was she thought he was clark rockefeller right. and a lot of people who were around him as clark rockefeller really wanted to believe that he was because they hoped that some of that rockefeller Magic. glow yeah. would sort of rub off on them and um she in they're getting divorced and she hires a private detective and she wants a private detective to find out who her husband is and he searches and searches and searches and goes through all the public records and all the databases and all the things that are available to private detectives. And he comes back to him and he says, you know, this guy didn't even exist before 1994. Right. I don't know who he is. So she goes to him, and it's, a lot of this is detailed, again, in the book, Name Dropper. <laughs> www.rockefellermystery.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right here. Yes, that's it. Look, look, look at it. Yeah, it, we're holding the book up to the golden <laughs> microphone, <laughs> and um, it, it says, "Hey, listen. I'll tell you what. Um, you've been taking pretty good care of our child, and um, if you'd like to continue taking care of our child, all you got to do is tell me who you are."
2: Right.
1: And he won't. So she trades him eight hundred thousand dollars in gold uh, for. Custody, basically, and he's the, he's given supervised visitation.
2: What what I find fascinating about this is that he he pretends that it's all about the child, but when given the opportunity to take the child and go and be scot free, he turns away from it. And and, and um, I'm trying to. Head,
1: they call that consciousness of guilt, which is why we need jury trials.
2: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to wrap my head around someone who's given a scot free option. Because if he if he had said, "Well, I came from Germany, and I've lived a number of lives, and I got I was happy with you, and I was going to stay happy with you until recent events," then she would have said, "Thank you," and off he goes, and all would have been hunky dory, and no one would have known.
1: Yeah, except this private, this pesky private detective's involved, and you know he's kind of ethical and stuff. And I think if he, I, I think that <laughs> you know, problem. If, if ethics he, just
2: mess up everything, you know, I think if he cap, it's all your fault
1: you know gets into some of this and says yeah I'm a german immigrant and I came here in 1978 and by the way I lived in california and by the way I killed a guy cut him into three parts and buried him in the backyard well yeah you know, they have to get And held a party dicey.
2: and held a nice little party around the, the mountain yeah
1: game of trivial pursuit <laughs> it's a new question in the uh, 25th as nation
2: <laughs> <laughs> where where where's the oddest place that? to hold a
1: trivial pursuit party <laughs> this backyard guy's a body real piece party of work. Yeah,
2: well, it it seems it seems to lead. It seems to push the the idea that he was more interested in winning than he was winning for winning's sake than it was for the actual object of the winning.
1: Yeah, you know, this guy is a game theorist, and he's into game theory, and um, you know, winning everything. It comes down to what moves you make before, after, during, how you plan them out. You know, like a game of chess. He's really into that, um, and th- I think he's he's living his whole life that way. And how that's how he really games people. Um, he, he's he's really good at reading people's psychology, and he's really good at figuring out how they're going to react in any situation. And he's good <coughs> at adjusting his personality to that.
2: A lot of this story reminds me of the talented Mr. Ripley.
1: <laughs> you know, it there's a lot. It, the thing about this story, really about Name Dropper is that he's the last great imposter. of What's our name of, of the
0: book
1: again? <laughs> name, name Dropper. <laughs> Dropper. Rock Rockefeller Clark, Mystery. Rockefeller Mystery. Rockefeller um, And, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm here. I That's right. I appreciate <laughs> you having me here. Um, it, but he's the last, think about this, he's the last great imposter, right? He's the last guy that can go around and tell you God. he's a Rockefeller or a, a Mountbatten or related to the Queen without you Going and Googling it and finding out that he's full of crap. Right? Right. I mean, because, you know, before in the 90s and in the 80s, did you ever, you didn't have Google, you never checked anybody out. If somebody introduced themselves to you, if Burl introduced himself to you and said, hey, you know, I, I write all these books, I write novels, I do crime stories. You just take it at face value. Now, you, well, see, if, you if, see it and you Google if
2: it. came up and said it to me, I'd probably call the police. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but,
1: well, actually, the first true,
0: first true crime book I wrote was Man Overboard, The Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne. Except in, in Phil's case, where he reinvented himself with a variety of different names and identities, it wasn't famous people. He would just take a new name. You know, uh, and, just, live it, right? and live it, right? Live it, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah well, and if you know Rockefeller's last identity isn't a great name. You know, it's not Chichester, it's not Chris Crow, film director, it's not Mountbatten, it's not Rockefeller, it's Chip Smith. Yeah. Right? And Chip Smith, I mean, there's probably a million Chip Smiths. Yeah. And so, you know, he he suddenly decides that, you know, maybe it's not a good thing to have a name that's noticeable. Um but of course, even as Chip Smith and when he took this identity in 2007 just before his arrest, you know, people are Googling it, and like, uh, you know, there's no record of a Chip Smith anywhere. Chip Smith Sea Captain.
3: Well, so, oh, excuse me, there, there are still many people that don't show up on an Internet search.
1: Well, it, it, that's true, but it, the thing is, though, is that you leave a trail somewhere. You, maybe you don't show up on an Internet. I bet you show up on an Internet search. Oh, of course he does. You know, I mean, famous comedian that you are, right? Now, if I went out and I said I was you, I couldn't get away with it.
3: I travel to Sam Boyle. <laughs>
2: he
1: uses an alias. That's interesting. I'm yeah. Bernard Schwartz. But, but, you, so you, but you travel as that, so you or check Mary into a hotel as that. And, Sam Boyle. Yeah. But you pay the bill as yourself.
3: I uh, When I check in, I give 20 to the attendant behind the desk, and I say, please don't disturb me.
1: <laughs> you know, sometimes people can disturb you just by looking at you I mean, that happens with me I get, dist- I get disturbed by people in the car next to me sometimes And I can't help
2: it well, One of the other things that I found interesting Is that is that he would steal social security numbers
1: Uh, Yeah. He
2: uh, he, he stole a particular infamous one.
1: Well, when you're running from murder, right? (laughs) A murder rap, it helps not to use your social security number. And um, he used his buddies, and he also used Son of Sam's social security number. Yeah,
0: that one really just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you're worried about someone. You know, figuring out that you're a murderer. Why would you use a a serial killer social security number? You
1: know, I think you got to go back to the '80s and just look at the you know the way the culture was. People weren't security conscious. They weren't you know they didn't run through databases the way that we do now. Um, they just didn't do it. Um, and so We're keeping toms,
3: though. That You could spot by the black mark on their
1: I thought I rubbed are no that off. They
3: always have been nosy. They want to know what's in your sock drawer. They want to know everything about you. Live in any small town.
1: Well, I, I'm, and you know that's—it's interesting that you bring that up because he did—he lived in Cornish, New Hampshire. You know these small town—to end all small towns—and uh, the guy at the local newspaper there was fixated on this on him being you know reportedly a rockefeller and and he you know he googled him he searched him he did you know everything that he could to you know put the lie to him being a rockefeller and he believed that uh, he could prove it of course you know how it is with the small town newspapers nobody's gonna you know go up against the Rockefeller and um, it's kind of too bad for that reporter but um, you know there are people that will go to nosy lengths to find out who you are. And he just didn't run into anybody like that. And I have, a th- you know, I have this weird theory about it, too. Like, take the Chichester name, right? So, you know, in Great Britain, you would pronounce that name Chichester. It, but people in the United States sometimes mistake it for Chichester or Chichester. And I noticed that the people who, you know, were most enamored with him and the most taken with him were ones that would pronounce it Chichester or Chichester. So a little less sophisticated, a little less, you know, savoir-faire, a little less knowledge of British peerage and uh, who might be a member. And, um, you know, I think he played on that. And I think probably in seeking out jobs and stuff, he probably did similar types of deals. Wow. So, let's, let's, he, let's get back. I want to get back to by this. By the way. Yeah.
3: Legalese, if your name is spelled S-M-I-T-H, it's your legal right to pronounce it Jonathan.
1: Yes, it is. It is. Really? Yeah. I thought it was Throat Wobbler mangroves. Uh, you just take my name, G-I-R-A-R-D-O-T. You can find it at the bottom of Name Dropper <laughs> in the <my>
3: book. <laughs> you, to, you, 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 would legal to introduce yeah. yourself in
1: court, Your Honor, my name is John... Uh, Doyle. Yeah, well, you can introduce yourself any way you want, but the judge is going to say, sorry, your name's not John Doyle. And in fact, uh, well, you it, haven't broken it, Gerhardt's rider, yeah, well, his attorney made that argument. Gerhardt's rider uh, wanted to be known in court as Clark Rockefeller. And the judge said, absolutely not. You're Christian Carl Gerhardt's rider. That's who you are. That's who it is on your green card. That's who it was when you had a driver's license. And that's who you're going to be when we charge you with murder. So you can call yourself Clark Rockefeller, and your friends can call you Clark Rockefeller, but here in court, uh, we're going to call you Christian uh, Gerhardt's ride.
0: Now let's get back to this murder business.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. This is is early on in his running around the country with different people.
1: Uh, The murder. Yeah. Well, so he lived in San Marino, California, um, a suburb of Los Angeles, about 10 miles east of Los Angeles. Fairly wealthy place. A lot of, uh, you know, the Los Angeles Times publishers have lived there for years and years. Uh, a lot of media execs live there. Now um, they live in India. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But they did back then. They all lived there. Standard oil, union oil. So, you know, these are multi-million dollar homes. A wealthy community. A community that's sort of uh, insular. Um, people that live there, though, look at their community as being in three parts. There's the San, San, super Marino where the super wealthy live. There's San Marino where the wealthy live, and then there's Submarino where the people who live underwater, <laughs> yeah, right, almost wealthy live. So he gets in. He's living in the back house of this place in Submarino, uh, renting a room from a woman named Didi Soas. She's a heavy smoker, heavy partier, a real big drinker. You know, she's a lush, and she's got a lot of mental issues going on.
2: Well, her art was quite interesting.
1: No, not the way. This is Dee Dee. This is the mother. Oh. So uh, Dee Dee has a son, John. John gets married. John and his wife, Linda, want to move in to Mom's house, and Mom's got this guest house. And, the, you know, I think their hope is that they can d- be there to take care of Dee Dee, John's mom, but live in this guest house. But there's a renter back there, a creepy guy. Mm. That's what Linda saw him as, a creep. Well, the creep in the back was paying rent, and John and Linda weren't. Uh, Linda was an artist. She painted unicorns and rainbows and
0: (laughs) big market for that. Yeah,
1: my my um, what do you call it? My pretty pony. Yeah, strawberry shortcake. Yeah, rainbow bright. Yeah, rainbow bright. She was really good at that stuff. And she actually though she did sell some of her paintings. She sold her paintings uh, specifically at the uh, science fiction festivals and all that stuff. People are, You know,
2: Fangora and (laughs) Comic-Con. I don't
1: know if it was Fangora, but she worked at Dangerous Visions, which was on Ventura Boulevard here in Sherman Oaks, uh, named for the Harlan Ellison uh, book of the short stories. So anyway, uh, so John and Linder living there with Dee Dee and the creepy renter in the back, Chris, and um, in 1985, John and Linda go missing. Linda's friends are concerned. They call the police. The police come out, and the first time they're out there, they interview the the, the old lady, and she says, "Well, uh, you know, they've gone on a secret mission. A secret
0: mission? Yeah, they're doing they're doing government. They're
1: doing government work. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, and she believed that. And they, when the police asked her, "Well, who told you that? She says, well, I have a source. And her eyes kind of like, you know, are hinting that the source is (laughs) living in the
2: back house. And I like this, too. I'm going to, I wrote this down. Yeah. So I can use it.
1: This is great. This is like, this is the all-time classic. So the cop, so the cops are out there. They're looking around. One goes to the back, the guest house, knocks on the door, door opens, guy comes out, completely nude. Oh, the police officer, you know, a big burly sort of, uh, you know, macho guy, looks at this naked man standing there and he says, What the hell are you doing? Well, I'm a nudist, sir. You know, this homophobic, small-town cop doesn't want to look at what he's looking at. So rather than, like, you know, process a crime scene or figure out what he's got going, he closes his eyes, turns his back, and hauls ass back to the front of the house. Well, there's there's probably a body in there with this (laughs) naked guy, but uh, we'll never know. So they go away, the police go away, and months go by, and then the renter, the creepy renter leaves, he splits town, he's gone, and he's gone uh, with the missing couple's truck. So the cops come out again and they do a real missing persons report and um, things kind of go by the wayside for several years and in 1988, a police in Connecticut get a, a hit a uh, DMV hit on a missing persons from California that there's a guy that's trying to sell their truck. Let's find out about this. So they, they dig into it and they, they talk to um, a man who was attempting to buy this truck and they get nowhere, they track down Chris, mm-hmm. who's now become Christopher Crow. And he, this is great. He's, working for, he's been working in uh, Wall Street. First, he's a municipal bonds uh, salesman. Then he moves up to NiCO Security, which is a Japanese firm, and he's uh, selling securities. And then he leaves uh, Nico and goes to Kidder Peabody, where he's uh, on the Eurobond desk, making 300,000 dollars a year. Guy could make a living. Hey, he could make a living, all with son of Sam's social security card. So, they uh, after son of Sam for back taxes. Yeah, he, he probably owes a lot. Um, anyway, so the cops can't ch- catch up to him, and and he knows they're on to him, so he quits his job, and he's hiding out with his girlfriend um, in New York, and it, it, he's got this whole counter security, counter intelligence, counter surveillance thing set up. He's pretty good at it. He knows that they can't leave the apartment at the same time, that they have to walk on opposite sides of the street. He knows how to, you know, do the corkscrew method of getting out of a tail. He gets his mail at, mail, at PO boxes in other states. He's using a shredder in 88. So he's, he's gone into this completely evasive mode.
2: And he's convinced his girlfriend that he's a, some kind of secret Mission.
1: He's uh, he's convinced his girlfriend that the Japanese uh, or the Pakistanis or the Israelis or somebody is out to kill him and his family because, you know, of course we are Mountbatten's. and uh, oh, my my yeah. aunt the Queen. Oh, uh, I mean my is aunt. He aunt selling Elizabeth, her any
0: bridges or
1: property in Florida <laughs> while this is going on? Yeah, he should have. It would have made made some money.
2: Um, I, I like the uh, you know I'm I'm working on uh, faster than speed of light travel. Oh, that's great. And well, the that, Chinese are after
1: That, me. that comes later. <laughs> so anyway, in '88, he does. He ends up doing all this stuff, and him and the girlfriend end up in Maine, in Camden, Maine, and they're out to dinner, or they're going to go out to dinner. They're getting ready for dinner, and he calls to a restaurant and makes reservations, and the restaurant says, "I'm sorry, we have no, no seats, sir." So, you know, he waits a couple minutes, and he calls back, and he says, uh, Good afternoon, this is Clark Rockefeller. I would like a table for two tonight, please, and please have the oysters Rockefeller ready when we get there. <laughs> after and, all, they're named after me. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, so, uh, Clark Rockefeller uh, and is born. And he's born because he was able to get a reservation, and the name works magic on people. He gets the girlfriend to give him a credit card that says Clark Rockefeller on it. He doesn't drive anymore. He kind of stays out of the limelight. But believe me, he's pushing this Rockefeller name. And people buy it. They believe it. They think, oh, you know, and he's got these quirky personality habits. So they think, well, you know, that's part of the inbreeding of the rich. (laughs) Part of the Rockefeller conspiracy. (laughs) Can I join that club, please? Well, and that's the other thing, too, right? People want to join that club. They want to be around a Rockefeller. They love the idea that this guy is, you know, sort of uh, different. He likes to, he likes parties. He likes socializing. He loves modern art. He, you know, all the trappings of wealth. Well.
0: But if he's making 300 grand a year, how long did he work in that business? Long enough to stash away some loot or was
1: he throwing no, them all he, no, the he, it No, he, he didn't work. He worked there three weeks. Oh, that's not long enough. Not, not long enough yeah. to get that first check. Yeah. yeah. So so after he's a Rockefeller, uh, he's a Rockefeller uh, in 88. Ninety-four, him and the girlfriend split up, and he meets another girl, a Sandy Boss. Sandy Boss is a Stanford grad and a Harvard business grad. No dumbbell. No, ho ho, very smart woman. She's an incredibly smart woman, and they fall in love and they get married in a Quaker ceremony on Nantucket. Oh, and by the way, he lost all the paperwork. Now, so does she have money? He has none, but she's so, but making one point two million a year.
2: That's a nice round figure.
1: So that's yeah, a lot of money in ninety four. That's a lot of money in ninety four and she's not in control of it. He gets all the paychecks. He gets all the uh, he handles all the banking, everything. It's all in her name, but he's handling it and um, she's letting him do it. And he so he takes control of her life. And when she wants to split up with him, he gets her pregnant. I mean, she gets pregnant on her own, too. But, you know, I mean, there's a pregnancy, and so they're back together. And it goes on from 94 until 2007 when she's finally had enough and she gets away from him.
0: What was it she'd had enough with? Was
1: Well, you know, it actually comes down to one lie. It's all about a lie, you know. Um, so he told her that his dad was a guy named George Rockefeller and that his mom was a woman named Mary and the two were killed in a car accident in Connecticut. That story stuck for a while. And then it, it changed, and suddenly his mom became Ann Carter, the child actress, and she confronted him. She said, wait a minute. Wait, well, keep your story straight. Yeah. T- dude, you told me that your mom was named Mary. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, well no, uh, she didn't was named Ann, Ann Mary, she's, yeah. she's Ann Carter. Yeah. <laughs> So that was it. She had enough, stopped the lies, and um, hired the private detective. Uh, so he's given um, supervised visitation.
2: But there's a long protracted... Uh... Oh,
1: well, the divorce went from 2007. It was all through 2007. It wasn't really long and protracted. She's making a million to a year, and he's not making anything. So believe me, the person that can afford the lawyer in that situation... This is her. Yeah, and they're going to move that thing along, and they did. Uh, and, and she got, um, you know, she gave him eight hundred thousand dollars in gold in cougar hands that he converted to eagles, um, and he, so in two thousand so, and he gets supervised visitation. Wow, well,
2: how much do those suckers be
1: worth now? Uh well, double or triple maybe.
2: Uh, well, I mean that was but uh, at ninety four there was what? Uh, no, no, this 350? is two
1: thousand seven, two
2: thousand seven. So that yeah. was uh, seven or eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind.
1: <laughs> Never mind. So, yeah, well, you know, when
2: you, when you when you when you when you when you mention gold to a Jew, you
1: know, <laughs> it sets off all the alarms. Yeah, bells. all the, the bells alarm. went off. Yeah. In yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, yeah. Okay, when you mentioned gold to a Rockefeller. Apparently, the same alarm bells go off.
2: So, yeah, but their alarm bell is, oh look, it's a couple of coins. <laughs> a, a couple, couple of coins. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, so he gets the gold uh, and kidnaps the kid on his first visitation, and it's an elaborate kidnapping. Um, v- that brings in the FBI, and there's a massive manhunt in Baltimore, uh, Boston, and really the entire Eastern Seaboard. Not, not, you know, not like the one that we had the other day here with the Boston massacre, but um, the the marathon shooting, massacre, bombs, whatever. But it was a pretty big uh, manhunt, and they tracked him down to an, an apartment that, uh, or a townhome that he bought in Baltimore, where he was living as Chip Smith, and he's living there with the girl. He's already cut her hair. He's already dyed his. He's already cha- changed his name to Chip Smith, Sea Captain. But Sea Captain, I like Sea Captain. Yeah, Sea Captain.
2: <laughs> it <laughs> wasn't a kidnapping, though. What we call it? It's, well, from they call his... it
1: parental abduction. Yeah. But no, for from, the purposes you know, he, of you know, the law, it's a kidnapping.
2: From his, uh, uh, from his perspective, there no, were really no. It wasn't a kidnapping.
1: Yeah. Oh no. No, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. But, uh, no, but we were having fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of fun. He, he, yeah. Poor kid. Uh anyway. So the cops, you know, in making this arrest in Baltimore, you know, they get fingerprints all that, they link them back to an INS card, the INS card links him to the wanted, the wanted links him to San Marino, San Marino links him to the dead body in the backyard, the dead body in the backyard links him into trial. He just completed his trial, four-week trial here in Los Angeles, California, where he was found guilty. And he's looking at 26-year, 27-year prison sentence. Are they going to um, have a mitigation hearing? Yes, they're going to have a, a sentencing hearing. I don't know what it would be in factors in mitigation. I, I was a Rockefeller. That yeah, that? I'm a sugar. <laughs> yeah, right. um,
2: yeah. Um, I heard, uh, as I was researching, I heard all kinds of estimates for the jury deliberations from anywhere from one day to a week.
1: Five out, five and a half hours. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Uh, you know, and I w- I went to every day of the trial. I I was there for the jury select. I was every step of it through the preliminary and all that. And um, a lot of us, uh, you know, and big names too, like Linda Deutsch and um, Walter Kern. Um, These the LA Times reporters were there a lot, and a lot of us were, you know, trying to figure, you know, how long will this go? And we estimated all those things that you just say: a day, two days, a week, two weeks. You know, down the hall, the Bell trial was going on; the the Bell corruption trial was going on, and that jury took three or four weeks to reach a verdict. Mm-hmm. So you just don't know. I, the thing is, is that. This jury hated Clark Rockefeller. <laughs> that, that's a problem. And the jury hates the defendant. <laughs> they, yeah, they. I mean, and they really hated him. And you know, he's. He, so here's, here's what you got. Ninth floor of the Los Angeles County Superior Courthouse downtown is a pretty unique place because it's all the high-profile cases. And most of them are gang cases, brutal gang cases, involving, you know, black and Latino street gangs who are doing really bad things to each other.
2: I got to sit in on one in San Fernando.
1: So you you know what I'm talking about. I mean, these are bad, bad people. Well,
2: you know, we were terrified, the jury, the jurists.
1: Yeah, of course. I Because, mean, you know, uh,
2: half, mo- half of us lived live in San Fernando.
1: Well, so, uh, you know, and and believe me, you know, it's not like you're not going to get, somebody's not going to run into you somewhere and talk to you about this stuff. So, well, I, I wasn't worried about being talked to. I was <laughs> <laughs> worried about being shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, believe me, I, I totally understand it. I mean, I've covered lots of gang homicides and gone and seen the way these guys operate. But, and that's what's happening on this ninth floor. You go through two metal detectors to get there for that very reason. And the jurors would have been a, you know, a jury of peers in any one of those instances, right? Because you know, I mean, it's mostly uh, Asian, Latino, and Black community, and uh, most of the, the uh, victims and suspects in a lot of these cases are, you know, Latino, Black, or Asian. So, in our in our little courtroom, in our little corner of the world, we had, you know, um, uh, the Latino, uh, Black, Asian jury with a white suspect. Uh, with two white uh, Jewish attorneys uh, and and an all-white gallery of uh, folks watching it. So, uh, you know, it made a difference, I think. Yeah, it was a multicultural
0: experiment. We're going to take a 60-second break. We'll be right back to discuss Name Dropper, investigating the Clark Rockefeller mystery. ClarkRockefellerMystery.com RockefellerMystery.com Buy several copies in the next 60 seconds. We'll be right back.
3: This is just for you. If you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com. The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know, the demons of Seconds. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio.
0: Hi, I am still the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll, rocked to the cradle to rhythm and blues. And in my spare time, when I'm not Uncle Crazy on Outlaw Radio, I write true crime books. In fact, I think a wise investment for you when you're buying Name Dropper by our guest today, that you also buy my latest book, which is called Body Count, the true story of Robert Lee H. Jr., the Spokane serial killer. In fact, the very first people he killed were friends of my family in my hometown, much to my surprise. And some of his final victims were also people I knew. How do we transition this? Hookers in Spokane, Washington. <laughs> That's a whole other story. My other latest book is called Headshot Two and a Half Psychopaths, Three Trials, and a Judge that screams, This trial is giving me eccentric headache number 830, and he storms out of the courtroom. And while you're at it, pick up Masters of True Crime, edited by R. Barry Flowers. 17 true crime authors, all in one book. You'll find me between the covers with Catherine Ramsland and several other wonderful true crime writers. So as long as you're buying books, buy Name Dropper. And then, of course, by all mine, and everyone will be happy. Except, of course, the psychopaths in the book, because they're all in prison or dead by now. Back to True Crime, Uncensored. Yeah, we know that. You can go in prison, Pearl Albert, right? and Howard Lapidus. Howard's not here. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. I certainly hope so. He's here. Sometimes more. G. Mackey, Esquire. Her breasts get here 20 minutes before she does. <laughs> produced by <laughs> Magic Matthew Allen. <laughs> who in turn is produced by a leggy blonde with big freckles. Who in turn <laughs> is produced by Lori Downey Jr. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, back to True Crime Uncensored. I'm Burl Bear, that's Mark, and that's uh, Frank Gerardo jr
1: yes sir thank you
0: what happened to the comedian Did we piss him off yeah he couldn't find any way of being funny so he left the room <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens with him so often uh this is you've been an investigative journalist i love investigative journalists because there's so few of us left <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm waiting for them to outsource
1: this to some guy in india <laughs> oh it's gonna happen you know i mean the thing you know it, it's gonna happen eventually there's just there's no room for it anymore um You know, there's people want headlines. Yeah. They want short uh, tweets, Mm -hmm. and they they want you know packaged information that says you know it all. Kim Kim Jong Un is a crazy man. That settles it. Yep. (laughs) I don't need to. I don't need to say anything more. Yeah. Uh, And I, you know, I I don't know if that's not the entire audience because we you know there's a good audience for what for the the true crime genre Um, because you know as you see just from court TV and the fact that you know cnn can devote two days or three days to the bombing in boston that people are fascinated by, you know, all the things about crime and the justice system and all that. Unfortunately, a lot of the people who are
0: watching all the true crime shows and Nancy Grace's stuff aren't necessarily literate.
1: Well, that's a problem, yeah. <laughs> and they're not necessarily anything other than shut-ins. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to live vicariously through the misery of others. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah.
0: a problem with this? <laughs> <laughs> I, Well, we were discussing that uh, well, one of the wonderful things about the book Name Dropper, besides the fact that it's a fascinating story about Clock Rock, Rockefeller, or the guy who claims to be Clark Rockefeller, he can also claim to be Mark C.G. Boyer, which I wouldn't surprise me if he did that next, is that you put this in context. I mean, that isn't the only story in the book. I mean, you put this within the framework of of where he is and where we are in the lovely city of Los Angeles.
1: And that's one of of the things I found out as I was going back over time was that a lot of things happened at the same time. So when he, in 1985, when John Soas was killed, well, right about that same time in the San Gabriel Valley, the Night Stalker was going door to door and killing people in very brutal ways. Um, yeah, I don't think he knocked, though. He just cut the screen, <laughs> yeah. walk right oh, in. Oh, yeah. land shark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he was a bad dude, and people were frightened. And, of course, that consumed, if you remember, if you lived here then, it consumed the media for that whole uh, spring and summer until he was caught. So... Uh, You know, a missing couple, a couple of adults who've gone on a secret mission isn't just going to draw a lot of attention when you've got a crazy man, you know, cutting the eyes out of his victims and taunting the police with satanic symbols and, you know, all sorts of um, brutal crime. And then fast forward to 94 when they dig up this body, when they dig up John Soas in 1994, it's in May. And, um, you know... A a Ford
2: Bronco on a slow police chase. That killed it all. That killed
1: it all. I mean, that that killed... And, and, you know, there's a lot of other little intricacies about that. But I think one is that people stopped paying attention... Everybody stopped paying attention to what was going on in their daily life. And the officers on this case uh, in 94, they're dead now. Um, You know, they didn't really do the follow-up that they probably should have done because there's a pretty good chance, I believe... I think he could have caught Clark Rockefeller before he was Clark Rockefeller. Now, that would have put me out because I wouldn't have been able to he write Name write, Dropper.
0: No, you would have able to write this wonderful book, Name Dropper, which you can um, get on RockefellerMystery.com. <laughs> yes, if, if,
2: exactly. If, if you insist, <laughs> Ryan Styles. <laughs>
1: yes. right, there you go. I just Name Dropped. Yeah, just you got to drop. drop a couple of names. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, of and dropping names, Dean Norris, who you might know from Breaking Bad, uh, wrote the foreword to my book. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good friend of mine, uh, Agent Hank Schrader on Breaking Bad. We played in a rock band together for oh, several years. Uh,
0: everybody in L.A. played for a rock band yeah. except me. I was, a, I was a groupie for a rock band. I bet you were.
1: Yeah. You still have the spandex, don't That's
2: you?
1: correct. <laughs> <laughs> Great name for a band. Um, and then, of course, so so the context, right? And then the other context is the 84 Olympics. Um, and then, the you know, all the amount of crime that happens in L.A. is... You know really not like this, we started to talk about gang crime a little bit, and um, one of the the deals here is um the the lead detective on this case was involved in a really huge gang uh, homicide investigation uh where you know innocent bystander got killed, basically uh, telling some kids not to graffiti his neighbor's wall and um you know that that consumed the lead de- homicide detective's life. Uh, for a good portion of 2007 and 2008, and then leading right up to this trial, he was in trial on that one. So I, I put a little bit of that in the book, too. Yeah, well, that's just padding. Yeah, some people it's would say that, yeah. but I oh, mean, God, you, I'll tell you what, if you don't know what the detectives do, how do you know how they're going to figure out... Out, right? and angry. I mean, this is
0: my little soapbox no. that I get on every once in a while. I say I haven't got on it on the air before, but that does tick me off that when as a true crime author, when I put things in context or in historical perspective of why this situation happens to be it or what happened in similar situations legally in other states or whatever i don't want to know about that well I
1: then yeah. you don't want to understand anything because that your point is well taken it's all part of understanding getting the bigger picture and seeing you know something in the context of its times and of what's going on around it mm-hmm. and you know and people behave in certain ways um it, there's you know there's more than just their innate uh, internal psychology there's math psychology mm-hmm. as well and, and the know,
0: whole social uh, fabric of, of what's going on their expectations how they see themselves how they see crime how they see w- social responsibility their views of mental illness uh, whether uh, punishment is the best way to deal with things or well, do we prevent crime shot personally yeah they yeah. let <laughs> god sort them out yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, that that's an interesting point
0: um, Oh, you just went dead you might just went dead that's not good.
2: Hey, Matt. There you go. Thank you. Um, the, um, I don't think that if he had picked a name like uh, Henry Bixby... Or or or, or um, Christopher Bixby <laughs> at the at, uh, at the end instead of Rockefeller that we would be even discussing
1: this. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I completely agree. I, it would have been uh, you know if he was Gear just Gerhard's another ride,
2: just another nut job, just murderer.
1: another Gerhardt's rider killing a guy and burying him in the backyard. That yeah. happens all the time. That's right. It, it, it sure it probably happens more than we know. Which is really good. I don't have a backyard. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to you have to rent someone else's. <laughs> <laughs> then you can bury the body. Uh,
1: Matt. Can we chat later. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, nice but no, you're absolutely right. Although, you know, I believe that, you know, I also believe that he thought that his Rockefeller magic would ultimately convince a jury that he oh, wasn't Oh, yeah, guilty. yeah. I'm sure these people were really impressed. <laughs> yeah, no, they weren't.
0: No. <laughs> you know, it's, it's difficult. There's a, uh, for another one of my books, which um, <laughs> isn't the intent here, but Kirby Anthony, who was on trial for murder, He had the proverbial goat eyes, the eyes of the psychopath. Yeah, the the goat eyes. (laughs) Because goat eyes have no emotion. Well, I
2: prefer to have eyes of a ranger. That's another
0: TV show. Yeah, Uh, or the eyes of Laura Mars.
2: (laughs) That's uh, That's ugly.
0: They put glasses on. He didn't need glasses, but they put colored lensed glasses on him in the courtroom so the jury couldn't see his eyes.
1: But they probably, you know, I'm sure they, they... they still hated him. I know they hated, they hated this guy from day one. Some of the jurors were laughing at him, I mean, openly and derisively. <laughs> like pointing and giggling? I, I mean, just about. you know. And, of course, see, the thing is, his defense attorneys, they took a pretty good tack. Yeah. Their, their tack was, hey, look, okay, prosecution is going to tell you he's crazy, he's a liar. Yeah. He's, you know, a lot less than what he thinks he is. He's a manipulator. He's, you know, the prosecutor's going to tell you all this. And, and the defense said, all right, well, look, our guy's a liar. Mm-hmm. He's nuts. He's full of shit. Mm-hmm. And... But he's uh, not a killer. He's not a killer, though. It's just part of his, you know, mental illness. And in But the, the jury saw through that. They, they look at this guy, and they see that, you know, he's emotionless throughout mm-hmm. You know, he's looking at um, evidence and testimony and completely, you know, not in the courtroom like everybody else is. And that I think jurors pick up on some of that. And, of course, the other thing that they pick up on is that, dude, man, you know, like some of these guys are truck drivers, right? And they, you can just think, you can just see it. Dude, I'm a truck driver. I don't lie to anybody. Mm-hmm. I work 12 hours a day, and I make $12 an hour. And I go home, and my wife yells at me, mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I'm going to fry your ass, sucker.
0: <laughs> you know? yes, you're not even really wealthy. You're just <laughs> pretending to be yeah. and putting on airs.
1: Yeah. You know.
2: Well, uh, So let's look at uh, some of the aspects of the actual, the the crime he was convicted of. And that was basically uh, dismembering uh, Mr. Sonis.
1: Uh, right. Well, so the, essentially um, what the... Was alleged was that he bludgeoned John Soas to death with a blunt object,
2: ah. and then uh, post mortem dismemberment.
1: Uh, yeah, and stabbed yeah, him. Stabbed him six when times. They were alive. Yeah, it's a lot, It's very hard. Yeah. yeah, although they do it down in Mexico. Some of these drug cartels. we're yeah. pretty good at that. Um, and, and then, um, yeah, so then cut him my in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, how yeah, okay, could oh,
2: Well, I have the opening, se- opening sequence.
1: But you know what's funny? So he borrowed a chainsaw from a judge. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. May I borrow your chainsaw, <laughs> Your Honor? Yeah, and um, you know, I'll bring it back when I'm done. Um, but he, so he borrowed the chainsaw from this judge, and um, but the, the prosecutors never alleged that uh, he actually used a chainsaw to cut up the body, although the body was found in three pieces... You know, uh, one section being the head in a plastic bag from the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Mm. Uh, The second section being the, uh, you know, the torso, and then the third section being the legs. And if you remember, early on I mentioned to you that he attended the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Right. Uh, Why did he just leave a business card with the body? Well, because the business card said Christopher Chichester, Thirteenth Baronet, and uh, that might have confused uh, the, you know the plebeian police department. Well, it,
2: it sounds it sounds logical from his perspective to go and visit these places where he says he went, so he'd have some artifacts,
1: right? Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. called so, when a liar brings props. It, 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 well, it, and that you know, yeah. Oh man, that's all part of the lie yeah. too. I mean, it's all part of the con. This guy, you know, he's the consummate con man. And you know, and by the way, he was working a con when he killed John Soas. He was working a con on the old lady. The old lady had to Don't forget San Marino's a wealthy place. So she owns a piece of property and she has an estate that in 84-85 was probably valued around $300,000. Mm. He wanted that estate. And he's working the con to get it. And what he did was, after John disappears, he hooks the old lady up with a couple of con people. Uh, a couple, actually, uh, who own a trailer park in La Puente, California. And if you know anything about La Puente, California, you know that that is Grifter Central. <laughs> if you're looking for a grifter, yeah. you found the right go to place. La Pl- go to a trailer park in La Plenty. You're sure to find one. So-
2: Hello. After the uh the family disappears. The the husband and wife disappear. Right. They start uh, They the mother starts getting uh, postcards from Europe.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not well, Linda's friends and family got postcards from Paris signed by Linda. And, and, and you know Linda if uh, I don't know if I said this, but she told her friends and family before she disappeared that she was going to New York on a secret government mission. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so many of those. <laughs> yeah.
2: There are. I'm on one now. Yeah.
1: It, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not secret anymore. Oh
2: no, I'm I'm, I'm researching a whole crazy.
1: Oh, okay. So so she tells him that, and then several months after she disappears, they get postcards from Paris, and it says, "Dear mom." Hey, kind of miss New York. Eh, Paris ain't too bad. Love, John and Linda. And, and there's three of these, four of them, actually. They're all postmarked Paris. They all have stamps from Paris. They all have, you know, famous Parisian landmarks like the Eiffel Tower and the, let's um, say, the Versailles, the Palace of Versailles. And um, they look great. They look like the real thing. And, in fact, her friends were fooled. They thought, oh, okay, she said she was going to New York. She got to Paris somehow. Did, it, did anyone
2: do any handwriting analysis on
1: or postmarks? Who who, who mailed them? Well, yeah. See, here is the thing. So they did. So they did handwriting analysis, and actually, um, it f- prior to writing the book Name Dropper, uh, when I was RockefellerMystery.com. dot com. Thank you. Um, I. Uh, <laughs> As doing the investigative journalism end of this, I hired a, a handwriting expert and ran three of them actually, and ran the postcards by that by these three handwriting experts. Two of whom said she didn't write them. One of one said that she did. Mm. Um, but it turns out that the sheriff's department handwriting expert also believed that she wrote uh, the uh, the postcards. So it wasn't contended in court. And okay. yes, and right before trial began, remember the old girlfriend back in Wisconsin, uh, the tube steak boogie girl. Oh yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, she got a postcard from Great Britain, uh, signed by Chris when he was living in San Marino and attending USC. So that came up at trial, and they were able to show that this guy had a history of being able to send postcards from overseas without having actually gone overseas.
2: So let's let's do some uh, some speculation here. Okay. So, how does one, how does an individual living here, actually affect the delivery of a postcard from somewhere else? I don't think that. I mean, unless there's some secretness that I'll I'm not guess aware of, at it. you can't do that.
3: You put it in an envelope, you send it to London, someone takes it out of the envelope and sends it back to the
2: next. Right, I think that's but, great. That's
1: exactly what happened. But
2: and, you have to have
1: an accomplice. Well, that's, that's what I'm. You may maybe, and the, the police. That's what the police say. The lead detective says that, You know, hey, look, he's European. He's got friends in Europe. You know, all these Europeans mm. know each other. No, yes, Yeah, so he yeah but see he, them has, all. Been,
2: he hasn't d- had any contact with Europe since he left Germany.
1: Well. Yeah, I don't think it's that either by the way. So you right now if you did a Google search you could find you can find services that will do exactly this. You send them a postcard in an envelope. They'll take it out, put the stamp on it, and mail it for you. Oh, cool. You cover okay. your tracks postcard, I think they call it, .com. <laughs> CoverYourTracksPostcard.com? <laughs> Something like that. But back in the 80s, if you go through like the old issues of LA Weekly and some of the alternative newspapers, uh, okay. uh, you'll find uh, classified ads offering this kind of service.
2: So that leads me, then, with that information, to believe that she isn't alive. Because if she actually said my husband and I, and the husband you know the husband's dead, so then it, then it wasn't her.
1: Yeah, it, she's dead. She didn't do it. He did. He convinced her to run away with him for a couple of days, and, and then he bumped her, her off
2: and stuck her in an Angeles for it. That Likely, forest. yeah. Yeah, she's in the oh, LA. She's room. Now an oak, she's now an Oak Tree.
1: She's somewhere. Yeah. See, that's. There, the psychic said she's near a body of water. The LA rivers is a good body of water. Is yeah. yeah. Name Dropper,
0: investigating the Clark Rockefeller mystery by Frank C. Gerardo Jr., for by dean norris of amc's breaking bad and don't believe amazon.com
1: <laughs> no you can go to www.rockefellermystery.com or if you like 70s tv RockefellerFiles.com. all right oh that's,
0: that's a clever title point. rockefeller files it's a great book and it does put things in context mark
2: and really quick a shout out to uh jake for gifting us uh, the sweatshirt a mail to him. our guest from last week. Thank yeah, you very much,
0: Yeah. Next week, we have the gentleman who insists that Jack the Ripper was Vincent Van Gogh.
2: And I think another crackpot. <laughs> I'll be listening to that. You can come. You can just
0: show up. Oh, yeah, you can come here and uh, help co-host. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, Great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> on Outlaw Radio, the standard of a beleaguered and tempest-tossed broadcast industry.
4: to look so good, and I did everything that I possibly could for you. We used to ride around all over town, but they're putting you down for being around with me. But you can go ahead if you want to, cause I ain't got no papers on you. In the middle of the summer, I had a job in a plumber, just a glass on the ball, it was you, I wanted to fall off. Walking along, honey, hand in hand I'm a thinking of your mama when you're thinking of another man But you can go ahead if you want to Cause I ain't got no papers on you No, I don't I ain't got no papers on myself